ever had a, a five-hour energy? I did one time. I, me too. I did that in how, college. How fucked up did you get, Jackson? Not really. It was when I was working really? at Kohl's, and oh, I would yeah. work, you know, I would work like a whatever it was, like 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift mm. while I was in community college, and I kept asking yep, them to yep, not yep. do that, and then I quit. But I, <laughs> I kept doing that. Uh, the uh, the uh, so I would like rotate through different energy drinks. I had like little to no energy drink experience, uh, mm-hmm. and like a monster, a rock star, a Red Bull. Those would all keep me going through the shift. I chug one before I went, and because I was like up and moving around, it was a grand old time. Five hour energy. I, I I did my I did my thing. Chug that five hour energy. I was like five hour shift. Let's rock and roll. I crashed so hard. Like, two hours and 45 minutes into my shift, I wanted to die. I was like, this is blatant false advertising. You cannot wow, put a, two hour energy, a, more like. a ticking clock on the packaging and not know for damn sure it's going to last five hours. Not, like, uh, three-ish hours. It's bullshit. What I was going to say is that I, I was, like, surprised to hear... I don't even remember who said it, but they were like, yeah, no, five-hour energy, like, fucks you up. Like, you are raring to go for, like, eight hours. And I was like... They sell those like at the dollar store. Right, like right. what? What is in that? <laughs> but apparently, uh, it's a budget solution. Did it affect well, you at all, Elin? Well, I th- I maybe did it a handful of times like freshman year, and then never tried it again. <laughs> never again. Uh, again. And it was for like morning classes and stuff. Right. And I just like mm-hmm. maybe for like a couple handful of like uh, late night sort of like cramming on stuff. But yeah, it didn't. I remember one particular morning where. I'll try to make this long story short, but like I, I, I did it in the morning, and it wasn't it wasn't hitting quickly enough for me. I was like, oh, this this thing kind of sucks. But then like my roommate was like, no, no, you're supposed to do like a like a you're supposed to like t- chug it, then nap a little bit, and then wake up, and then it'll like click in. So oh, I tried okay. that. Um, I thought he was I gonna say to you need class. to like microdose, like just get a little bit. But then I don't know. That that's a strategy apparently. You're people do be like awake. caffeine naps. Like they get a bunch of <laughs> caffeine, they take mm-hmm. a short nap, they get up, and then like it's like calibrated or something. Huh. And then I went to that class, and I was still just like messed up just from the sleep deprivation and like the conflictingness of the caffeine. So I ended up actually like falling asleep in a class and getting called up by my professor. It was super embarrassing. <laughs> oh, so no. uh, yeah, it didn't really it didn't really work. What it did was it kind of like raised me up a little bit, but then it kind of just muddled the rest of my already kind of sleep deprived brain. Oh gotcha. Right. Just sparked it a little bit but it didn't like it didn't really do oh, yeah. much i was me, gonna say so. that's what i found Can't light is, something wet is like when i'm doing like manual labor when i'm like up and moving around i'll chug a fucking monster or a five-hour energy whatever and i'm just like it's like just totally like perfect lubricant like You're i just yeah. move for whatever it is five six hours and then i'm like that was great if i'm just like trying to concentrate on something or like writing i just get so anxious for absolutely no reason <laughs> like just physical anxiety response after like an hour after i drink my big coffee and i'm like, like a oh bunch of coffee not helpful i drink a coffee every day so i'm pretty used to the caffeine but if i like get something where i get like a lot of caffeine i like weirdly feel it like in my elbows you know just like in the like veins of my arms and i'm like mm, yeah <laughs> i gotta go no, i feel I feel it where you'll, I'll be like, in my forearms, I'll be like, It's like right here. Wrong. I'm just like, feel it. <laughs> I, okay, it's and then I shoot yeah. a burst of energy out of my hands. Speaking of bursts of energy, hi, what's up, everybody? Out of your hand. My name is Jackson McMurray. My name is Adeline uh, 12 Rings McMurray. Oh, shit. 
My name is Kija Huiki Rhodes. That was my Chinese name. Ooh. And I'm Elon Hernandez. Talking about Sean Kee, so, you know. And this is known as allowed. What about Elon? Elon said his name. <laughs> Yeah, I just didn't have a, I didn't have a, I didn't have a funny chong chi chai into my name. <laughs> That's okay, I didn't either, because I always forget to. You... I made a sticky note on my wall that says, say a funny name. Oh, it's getting keyed out by my green screen, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so, uh, chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, first, first things first, bad subtitle way overly convoluted subtitle if sure. <laughs> if six years from now and there's two more shang chi movies not a chance in hell that anybody ever refers to this as the legend of the ten rings bad subtitle awkward in the mouth well, solid people are just thumbs gonna down call it the golden army and then they'll call the second one shang chi 2 or right. shang chi nomad lands or whatever <laughs> shang chi yeah, nomad land shang chi nomad land directed by chloe Zhao. yeah could be. That's a good um, crossover. Really? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if Eternals is good. I want it to be so bad. Uh, it, it I, so I saw the trailer. The trailer looks Shang weird. Chi. It looked. It looked pretty good. It looked weird, but like it looked. It. It almost looks. What's the one that you have a poster of? The premiere of the TV show that was in theaters. Oh, Inhumans. Inhumans. Sometimes it looked a little bit look like no, that. It looked didn't. a little bit like 2016 Power Rangers, <laughs> but besides that, it looked great. I mean, it's weird because, like, Chloe Zhao has this visual style that's like this very sort of like muted, like still colorful but very like grayish, brownish, um, like mm-hmm. landscapey kind of thing that she that she's really committed to a lot of the time, and. There is a subtle difference between that and, like, big blockbuster CGI muddiness. Marvel. yeah. And, like, you know, one of those things is very artful and very intentional, and one of those things is less so. And it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. It's a tightrope walk between those things. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't really know how to judge it yet until I see the thing in its entirety. But just the way it looks, odd. Odd to consider. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so much you can get from a trailer. Maybe exactly. the person who did the trailer did a terrible job color correcting. That could be what it <laughs> That's is, That's also true. That's my biggest, the biggest thing I'm usually disappointed by in, in trailers like that. Although sometimes I'm impressed by. I, I mean, I don't know. I think of the Wonder Woman 1984 trailer all the time. Because mm-hmm. that trailer was color corrected so gorgeously. And I just, I always think about, like, the way that that Wonder Woman costume was when that, like, red was so bright. It was, like, almost purple. And, like, mm-hmm. it looked so good when they showed all those scenes from that, like, mall sequence. And then when the movie came out, it looked bland and boring and muddy. And I was like, oh, they did a bad job. So whoever did the trailer did a that much better job of yeah. this. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, okay. Shang-Chi is the newest Marvel project. Well, I so think... Elin, I want to know. I want to know what Elin like. What's your what's your what's your take? What do you think? What did you think of it? Well, I I really enjoyed it actually. I I wanted to make it out a second time to theaters to see it um, before this. wasn't able to do that, but I uh, I think it's been at least like two ish weeks since I saw mm-hmm. it. I kind of like when yeah. I, uh, my work schedule was changing. I saw <laughs> it on like a Sunday opening weekend. Um, 
I think that's when we all saw it. Oh, I know. You saw it on Monday. I saw it literally today. (laughs) Well, never mind. That's when we both saw it, Elon. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we were part of it. Well, this is what what Adeline wants to ask. What Adeline wants to ask is, Elon, if you could grade Shang-Chi, would you think of it as like an S tier or like a B plus tier? S being like the superior right, top right. one mm-hmm. um, for Marvel, just as a film. A film. Um, I I don't know if I would say S tier. I think it's I think it's good. I, I did really <laughs> enjoy it. I did think it was really effective. Um, there were things that I wanted out of it. Like there were things I've been processing a lot as much as I can about it. Um, and I think it is really. I think it lives up to just you know just simplistically the Rotten Tomato score. I think it's <laughs> right. I think it's um I think it's effective, you know, up to that standard. Um there are some I've been trying to I've been thinking more about kind of the arrangement of it and the way they handle certain things, but I just think from a general sense, I think it's really effective and really well made and definitely one of the well, better Marvel so movies that's been made. <laughs> <laughs> the preamble to this was that I walk out of the theater of walking of watching Shang Chi. Like during the credits, I text to the group chat of me me, Jackson and Keisha, and I go, uh, is Shang Chi like the best movie? Was that like super awesome? And Keisha's like, Yeah, it was super awesome. And Jackson just goes, Oh no, oh god. Because the, <laughs> the most... podcast is gonna be a bloodbath today. The most brutal takedowns that happen on this podcast are when we all like the movie but one of us likes it a little bit less. A little less. Then it turns out into a just knockdown, drag out brawl on this show. <laughs> so I'm happy. It seems like you're kind of in my corner. You go around in a circle. In the sense that you're like, yeah, pretty good. Like probably like B or A tier Marvel, real solid. And Adelaide and Keisha they like it much more than that, it seems. So I'm glad to have somebody <laughs> at least who can match my energy. Here's what I want to say. Here, here's my biggest thing about Shang-Chi. This is not necessarily about the quality of the movie. It's just something I find really fascinating. I just, I want to do my, my comic book corner for a minute because, uh, take take it away. If you'll, uh, I'll escort you to the comic book corner. Hi, welcome to the comic (laughs) book corner. My name is Jackson McMurray. Put some Uh, music in like jazz. (laughs) The thing about Shang-Chi as a character is that, like, I mean, obviously, like, the thing that everybody kind of knows is that he's not, like, an A-list Marvel character. Like, in the comics, Shang-Chi has never been, like, a big, important guy. Um, the weirdest thing is that he's, a lot of times, tends to be kind of a secondary character to Iron Fist. Um, not that he doesn't have his own identity as a character, but just, like, they very mm-hmm. much operate in the same sort of world, and Iron Fist has always been sort of the more popular character. Um... But it's also, like, so in the 70s, he was created by by Jim Starlin, the guy who wrote uh, Infinity War and all that kind of stuff, all the big spacey mm-hmm. Adam Warlock stuff. But uh, Jim Starlin and uh, uh, Gary Conway, or no, uh, Englehart, what's his first name? I should know. I'm very passionate about crediting comic book writers for these sorts of things, but I forgot <laughs> Mm-hmm. Englehart's first name. Um, well, when it's like the real Englehart, Steve Englehart. Sometimes. Steve Englehart mm-hmm. is his name, and Jim Starlin was the illustrator. Um, but the comic book series in the seventies ran for like fifty issues or so, which is called Master of Kung Fu, and that was the bit. There's this kid. His name's Shang Chi. Really good at kung fu. Fights crime with it. Period. 
<laughs> and everyone was like, in the 70s, I was like, cool. I like it. That's all we need. <laughs> That's all we need. So that ran for a, a few years and then eventually ended. And he's always been a Marvel character, but has been like sort of a lower one. I, I think a lot of the reason why he never quite graduated into being a more mar- uh, a more major character is just that like the premise just feels like it has a little bit of racism just sewn into it inherently just like Chinese guy who does kung fu yeah. <laughs> you know whose name There's is There's a lot of that in comic books especially right. in the 60s and yeah. 70s where it's like what if we just like took another culture and like look how weird that is that's <laughs> right. a superhero and now <laughs> well, we're like oh yeah like Maddie and I how my sister Maddie and we've talked about it before and it's like the majority of action movies if not all action movies that center around an asian character are usually like kung fu or karate based right and it's very similar or like ninjas will be involved but it's very similar to like if all white people movies were uh made about cowboys like if they're all westerns right because that was a style that was very popular in the 50s Uh and it just never like grew past that in in most media it's like and here's a kung fu or here's a martial arts and you're like okay but like we this is all we ever figured out that's not what people are like anymore like that's (laughs) it's very outdated yeah what but all that being said i am an asian kid who took a karate class for many years (laughs) so i can't really i'm playing into the stereotype (laughs) yeah i could have um but one second so and you know there there is a certain a certain tier of Marvel characters that like were created in the sixties or seventies but just feel a little bit not quite right anymore that like still get yeah. used and you have writers who incorporate them into Avengers stories and stuff the and Mandarin sort of try to reclaim them and recontextualize them in different ways I think a lot about Brother Voodoo who mm. <laughs> you know is a just a black guy named Brother Ooh. Voodoo who has like magic mm. powers yeah. But, you know, he he turns up a lot as, like, secondary characters in, like, Doctor Strange series or, like, Avengers series. And different writers have different takes and they try to use him as conscientiously as they can. But they don't, like, totally erase him, but he's just never quite, you know, been, like, a major character that they want to, like, put Mm -hmm. on the covers of things. Um, And Shang-Chi felt a lot like that for a really long time. It was, like, this guy and, like, he sort of has his fans, people know him, but always sort of been background. Um... With very little gimmick, besides that just he's a guy who's real good at kung fu. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Mandarin occupies a very similar space. Uh, there there was a weird... Because that's just the thing. It's just like this like <coughs> Cold War era, like conniving mm-hmm. Chinese crime lord who has yeah. these like mystical rings. And that's one of the things. The ten rings are like rings on his fingers, right? He has ten magic rings that he uses to cast spells and whatever. And, you Which, know, like, probably, we all do. Right. You know, yeah, he's, someone like, who doesn't. dealing opium or whatever. He's, like, thwarting Tintin's yeah. best efforts uh, in the 60s. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and, like, so so those are these characters, right? These characters have absolutely no relationship to each other. Mandarin is an Iron Man villain, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, when, they, when Marvel decides that they want to make a Shang-Chi movie, the first major thing... I mean, first of all, it's awkward... Because he inhabits mm-hmm. so much of the same spaces as, like, Daredevil and Iron Fist, right? 
he mm. sort of belongs to that universe so much more than he does the like bigger Avengers universe. So the fact that uh, Iron Fist and Kun Lun and the Dragon Shao Lao the Undying, like none of these things are are available. Big weird wrinkle in the adaptation. Not only that, but it is like a a D list Marvel character with little to no meaningful comic book source material. Like, I mean, like I said, like, he had his own series for five, six years in the 70s that, you know, was a story, but it was not, like, anything major or influential. Like, if you, like, ran up to somebody who's really into comic books and you're like, I want to read Shang-Chi. What, where do I start? What, what series do I read? You'd be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run uses him some, like, just a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's, like, kind of interesting in that. But, like, outside of that, you're just like... I guess you just read the comic book from the 70s. Like, there's not a lot yeah. to, to work with. <laughs> there's no yeah. other option. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're really building this thing from the ground up. Not only in the sense that there's not a lot to work with in the first place, but, like, what there is to work with in the first place is, like, totally being ignored. Almost entirely. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, I think the Ten Rings thing is super weird in the sense that, like, it's just a weird bananas, like, bit to, to have mm-hmm. as, like, a fantasy weapon. It's, like, weird and kind of convoluted. And the fact that it was originally, like, rings on fingers, but they were like, no, it's, like, bracelets that he shoots. But don't you think that (laughs) it's so much more dynamic in, like, a a cinematic format than, like, here are my ten rings. It's, like, like, shooting (laughs) out. And, like, they do different configurations. I like it. I think it's cool. And then there's no, like, weird green lantern crossover problematic stuff that's happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> right magic well, brass like, knuckles or something i love <laughs> oh, the yeah. symbolism of them because like they are literally like weights on the dad's arms like they are a physical heavy thing that he has right. to carry and a lot of the time he carries them like they're nothing and a lot of times they're like weighing him down like i love that right and then him fucking shooting the rings around and doing all the shit when it goes inside the monster's stomach and they're like swirling around and they bust out. It's so cool. It's so cool. So yeah, that's that's just what I'm finally getting to is like, not only are they inventing a lot of this stuff from the ground up, but they're also like cobbling together a lot of weird disparate inspirations because like not only do, do uh, the Mandarin and, and Shang-Chi have basically nothing to do with each other. And they draw this arbitrary line that's like, okay, they're father and son, and we're going to build this family dynamic. But also, uh, the um, like the Ten Rings, weirdly, I mean, spoilers if you haven't seen it, the Ten Rings sort of become Shang-Chi's, like, bit. Like, if this is, like, his origin story, like, moving forward, they're like, this is Shang-Chi, his magic, his superpowers, he has these Ten Rings that he controls. Which is, like, this artifact from an entire other, like, sphere of Marvel Comics that doesn't have anything to do with him that they've just decided to, like, turn into an entirely different thing and graft onto him, which I think is super fascinating. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that kind of bugs me about this movie, in, in, like, a very pedantic, very nerd rage kind of way, and I admit to that, is, like... Which has been what the comic book corner has been today. (laughs) Yeah, sort of, but it's, like, the... They go to this, like, fictional, Asian-inspired, like, other dimension, this, like, other world where it's, like, this sort of, like, dojo with all these, like, warriors, which is, like, very much just, like, what Kun Lun is, the, like, Iron Fist world, and it's pretty clear that, like, that's what they're kind of drawing from, and Shao Lao the Undying is, like, the big dragon in this, like, world of Marvel, 
who is like very much an Iron Fist thing. Like the I the dragon on like Iron Fist's emblem is Shao Lao, who's like a real dragon that he sort of trains with. Uh and like doing this whole thing and like just kind of making up a new Asian world with a different dragon that's like different than the one we kind of already did in the Netflix Iron Fist show, but not really. Is well, here's the distracting thing. to me a little well, bit. Well, what I heard, I haven't seen the Iron <clears throat> Fist show, but what I heard is that also nobody else did, and right. also <laughs> those that did didn't love it that much. No, yeah, nobody likes it. Some so, people, there's a yeah. certain demographic of people who are like, the second season actually got pretty good, but 99% of people did not watch it after like three episodes yeah. of the first season. And I mean, I think good. the vital thing is someone, I am very much on the like outskirts of the comic book world. I know a lot of information about the comic book world, mainly because of you, but, like, I personally don't read a lot of comics. I've read some Doctor Strange, I've read some Spider-Man, but I'm just, like, very, I have, like, have kind of barely dipped my toes in, and I just kind of read whatever I want. But, so to me, all the stuff that you said, like, just doesn't affect me at all. Like, how the story is delivered to you and the way that they give it to you it all totally makes sense with each other. It doesn't feel like a Frankenstein's monster of lore, even though <laughs> right. it kind of is, as you say. Yeah. But, like, it does a good job of not looking like Frankenstein's monster. Like, yeah. when you're like, oh, the Ten Rings, it, like, that it's not actually the Mandarin, it's this guy, and that guy's pretending. Like, when they explain all of it, like, in the way that they give it to you, it totally makes sense. You're like, yeah, that's his son, that's his kid, that's what we're doing. Great, I totally get all of it. There's these rings, and we, like, don't know where they came from, but this is how we're using them now, and you're like, great. Like, Wreck-It Ralph, you told me. I love it, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been, I've been taking up a bunch of space. I clear the floor. I cede the floor to any and all. <laughs> we're getting out of the comic book Further corner. remarks. Let me escort you out of the comic book corner. <laughs> There's well, been a lock of, on the door. I'll kind of piggyback off of what Adeline said and kind of, kind of second that. I, hearing that background that you just kind of laid out makes me look at the way that um, all of that was kind of constructed and, and kind of give it credit for me as someone who's not as initiated in that lore as you are. Um, looking at it the way I did, looking back on the experience, which is really enjoyable, it makes me kind of appreciate even more kind of the job they did, putting that together and making it a good sort of average Joe experience, um, even for like the, you know, like pretty well initiated Marvel person, at least right. MCU person. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely think world. that... <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think that uh, it's impressive looking at it from that perspective, how they're able to make all that make sense and create a really um, compelling storyline with a lot of really interesting characters and those con- the connections they create. Because I think for me, the, the core of this movie that I'm really interested in, the thing that's kind of lasted is kind of this, uh, um, this kind of thematic core of um, the family and learning more about the family right. um, and stuff like that. That was really kind of one of the core things mm-hmm. that uh, took away from me. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, and I really. Is... Here you go, Aisha. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I really love the, the order in which it came. I feel like it could have been really easy to just go chronologically and like that. We it would have made sense, but I think that it brought a lot of new, like, breath into what we consider origin stories, and it was oh, exciting that the the second that the bus fight scene started happening, you're like. Oh, he's he's normal. And then he just starts like (laughs) scissor kicking everybody. It lets it be a surprise to you as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was exciting as much as it can be a surprise with 
the name. Yeah, like it's just not what you ex- like. You're you know he's gonna do it, but you like you were expecting like we're gonna have to go through the whole like with spider bite, and now you're a superhero, right. and then yeah, you're a responsibility, and then you're da da da, or you're mm-hmm. you're a skinny little kid from Brooklyn, and then you get and your you super get strength, and then like it is. It's fun to have a different orientation yeah right i do think uh, that so the the masses like the like opinion that people regurgitate all the time is like we're so sick of origin stories mm-hmm. but then the, uh, this uh, they're also saying why i want something new i'm tired of all the same characters right so basically you can't win with the audiences yeah. with a superhero movie because for some reason people have it in their head that there's been too many origin stories so that they're boring and they take forever which isn't true unless it's a bad film like and then that thing and then the idea that there's nothing new and there's never been anything new is an old thing that people say about hollywood all the time that also isn't true but i think that this movie is very aware of that without being like tongue-in-cheek disney (laughs) this is an origin story you know like they're just like we don't want to just, like, hold people's hand <laughs> through the whole thing and be like, here's Joe. He gets bullied in high school. Isn't he quirky? Here's, mm-hmm. he gets whatever. Like, the the way that they do it out of sync really does, like, kind of draw you along. Like, it's, like with all those surprises, you want to find out more and, like, you kind of learn more stuff about him, like, without, without feeling like someone is, like, throwing all this information at you like the way they do that is so smart because i feel like audiences are kind of used to what an origin story is so by kind of mixing it up like that and like kind of surprising you with it i think it does a really good job of delivering that and like getting out of like cinema cincy kind of like criticisms of that and i think that like the thing about i mean this movie but also just like in the broader sense of these marvel movies like what what shang chi sort of adds to this world is like that that sequence at the end where he's like having dinner with his like old friends and they're like just talking about their stuff and then Wong comes through and they're like what? It like makes me realize that like the Avengers like the MCU like fully like do not have like a regular guy on the team and they never really mm-hmm. have. Like every Marvel superhero in these movies is is like exceptional in some way besides being a superhero you know they're like industry Mm -hmm. tycoons or they're soldiers or they're scientists or they're surgeons or like there's something about them that like already is like they're sort of like in one way or another like elite among people even before they Mm -hmm. they get whatever superpower even before they like do their thing so like that was the biggest thing like seeing uh uh like that the end credit scene where he's talking to Bruce Banner and Carol Danvers and like just being like kind of wide eyed like deer in the headlights like yeah sure whatever you say guys like <laughs> Great. yeah feels totally unique and i mean there is spider-man but spider-man feels like an awkward weird different thing than that i mean it's cuz spider-man's Ant-Man. a kid right Ant-Man. I think spider-man yeah and spider-man in the MCU specifically is uh, it's, both movies have been on cable a lot, so I've just been kind of seeing a lot of rewatching a lot of stuff. But he it, right. he really seems to be kind of that mixed that middle midpoint of being kind of an average Joe, who's also is kind of known for being pretty smart. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the thing the yeah, thing with like Spider Man school or whatever. Right. Yeah. He's <laughs> less of a gifted school. <laughs> right. He's less of an everyman and more of a like wide eyed child. Like that's more mm-hmm. about he's his an every youth. teen. 
Yeah, it's more about, like, his youth and his naivety just as being a 16-year-old or however old he's supposed to be. As opposed to, like, an adult who's just a dude. <laughs> who's, like, surprised. But I guess I didn't think about Ant-Man, though, because I feel like Ant-Man is very much... You that. love Ant-Man. I don't know what's I, happening. I do love Ant-Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, How could you forget about Ant-Man, Jackson? But, yeah, and, like... <laughs> I also... Brief, just little side tangent. I like... I realized during that end credit scene where there's that bit where Captain Marvel is like, oh, just get my phone number from Bruce. And then Bruce is like, I do not have her phone number. Made <laughs> me realize, like, that might have been the first time that, like, Captain Marvel, like, got to, like, do a bit with somebody else. Or, like... Got to be, like, funny. <laughs> got to, like, have funny chemistry with another character in these movies. I was like... It suddenly just all came crashing down, like, what exactly has not quite been working about Captain Marvel this whole time. Yeah. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, she doesn't, like, dick around with anybody, ever. This like, is the hill that I will die on that you will not... They did it with Thor, do it with a freaking woman. They kind of <laughs> right. did it with Black Widow and Black Widow. Let women be silly. Women can be silly. Yeah. Women and like, aren't funny. Yes, they are. Aquafina is very silly. Aquafina is hilarious. <laughs> and it's a good joke too because it doesn't it doesn't undercut like the amount of power they've ascribed to her, which is like yeah. its own thing. I don't think that's inherently a problem, but like it it allows that to continue to be while still having like a fun back and forth kind of banter with it. Yeah, and I was like, like, oh, this is like how it should be. Her, yeah, even like keep her personality. Like, oh, she's headstrong and she's brash and she's kind of inconsiderate. Like, great. That's gr a great playground for comedy to yeah, ensue. Like, put her totally. in a room with Bruce Banner, who's always been this tiny little guy standing <laughs> like this in the corner. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah. I'm mad. <laughs> anyway, that has been post-credit scene corner. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I want to talk about Aquafina because, like, the mm. only context I've really, like, seen her in is I her new show that's on something Nora that's from very Queens. much yeah it's been yeah. going for like three years apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TBS <laughs> little, or something oopsie but like very much like that kind of like I don't want to say like dirty but kind of just like in like funny goofy comedy so I like wasn't sure like once I realized it was Aquafina I was like I don't know what she's gonna do here and if she's gonna do it well but she did it so well. She did an amazing job in this. Like, okay, I totally that... bought her as a love interest. I totally bought her as, like, like she was a really great, like, other, other like, not knowing anything about the world. Like, even Shang-Chi knows a little bit more than she does. So, like, mm -hmm. she is, like, really the, like, gateway for the audience the, like, to, like, audience learn things and figure things out. So she's awesome at that, and she's just, like, totally believable. Even when she's funny, she's not obnoxious, which is a really thin-lighted toe, and, like, she just does a great job. Especially for Aquafina. I Espe feel like <laughs> a lot of people are still kind of trying to figure out how to use Aquafina, so that was a real worry yeah. of mine. Yeah, so she did a, she did a good job. She There yeah, was not totally. a point where I was like, that was a little obnoxious. Like, I never had a reaction like that to yeah. her. Mm. Yeah, I think she's great in everything she's in. Um... But that's interesting that you bring that up because I, I was going to bring this up. This is kind of my biggest hot take with this movie. And it's a question that I'm still kind of processing on some level. But when I was thinking about this movie, like I enjoyed the experience, like really no big, no one big flaw, like really kind of revealed itself to me as I was watching it the first time. Like I was just enjoying the experience. And by the end, I was just really excited to have, you know, taken a new chapter and everything. Um, but then it was thinking about the movie more after and thinking about things that maybe I wanted more of and maybe things I wanted less of. And it goes back to that thing about the kind of thematic core of the family and a character that I really, really, really liked and definitely want to see more of was um, 
was Shang Chi's sister. Um, I want to make sure I get the name right. The actress was I know Meng Zhang. Uh, the name of the character was Xia Ling. Really loved this character, and I hope to see more of her. And I wanted more of her in the movie. And as I thought about the movie more, I was like, should Aquafina's character, as well as she did with what she had, should this character have been in this movie? Because for me, when I looked at it, I was like, I could have done just not her, the person or the character, but like, I could have done, I could have done more with um, Jialing and less with Katie, story wise. Mm-hmm. Like the space she took up within the story, kind of. Right, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind a fair of that's. Point. I never yeah, thought about that. My biggest beef with Aquafina is that like they they. They sort of, like, set up this half-romantic thing in a way that feels mm. awkward and weird. And, like, my big thing... Like, I mean, you guys know this about me. I love movies about couples. I like when characters just have a relationship with each other, and it's not about their relationship, it's not a romance, it's not any of these things, it's just these characters who are together. And, like, mm. that feels, like, obviously what they wanted to do with this. Like, like, Sean and, and Katie are, like, obviously, like, in one way or another, like, together. One of the opening scenes is them mm. on, like, a double date with this other couple. But then they throw in this weird thing where they're like, oh, we're just friends. And then, like, later they have, like, very intimate moments. It's clearly meant to be set up as some sort of, like, ongoing relationship conflict. But that, like, romantic conflict takes up absolutely no space in the movie. And every time we see them together, they're just like together on and with a good relationship with each other. And I think this, I think that whole thing would have worked so much better if it was just like, oh, my fiance Aquafina, and just let that be the I, dynamic. I would have liked I that do, much, much better. I do think that is a part of Katie's character, though. Her whole thing is that she doesn't want to commit to any one thing. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know what she wants to do. So she's just jumping around. So I think the fact that their relationship is so ambiguous and yet everyone around them is like, yeah, like, of course you should be together. Because she says, like, in her family, Mm -hmm. like, her mom and her grandma, she's like, everybody, like, wants her to do something else, like, wants him to get with Sean, wants her to get a different job, blah, blah, blah. Like, she doesn't want to do those things because it scares her and she doesn't want to commit to it. So I think that is part of her growth. Honestly, what would have fixed it for me is I did kind of want... I don't know why I wanted this, but I did want a parallel of, like, them getting married versus the, like, picture of the parents getting married in the compound. Some part of me just wanted them to get married at the end of the movie. But, like, that does <laughs> like just feel... Comedy. Just, I just, yeah, jump. honestly, that's what I wanted. I wanted them to get married at the end of the movie. But that, I better. don't think it's... I don't think it's weird that that's their relationship. Like, I don't know. For me, it never felt awkward or weird, like you said. For me, it just felt more natural. Like... Of course they're together, and of course there's, like, romantic moments and all that stuff, but the fact that she can't see it, or even if she does, she doesn't, like, commit to it, I think is absolutely, like, what we're doing with Katie's character, and, like, the lesson that she learns at the end of the movie. So I think maybe more in a sequel or more something like that, we might mess around with that, but I think, honestly, my solution for that is just for them to get married at the end. Like, I (laughs) think that would have fixed it. (laughs) I think it would have been married, too. Here's what I'll say. Uh, uh... I mean, I don't know. I, that's a valid perspective, but I don't know. When I look at it, all I can see is, like, these characters were very much written, like, as a couple. 
and the very corporate, very cynical storytelling thing to do is like, you can't just have them be together. They gotta get together. Like, will they, won't they? Like, where, where's the, you gotta tickle their balls a little bit, you know? And like... <laughs> but and I don't so, think that's what we're doing here either, you know? I don't know. Uh, but on top of that, I also think like, uh, it's it's just not at all uh, an, an issue in the movie. I mean, I think that I think that it would come across more clear if it were at all being remarked upon by the movie in any more meaningful way mm-hmm. than just like they're buddies and then you, uh, with obvious romantic tension and then at one point they say no haha we're just friends will they won't they they must get together mm-hmm. i ship them so hard blah 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 and on and on and on and on uh yeah. which i think is I a mean, little cheap i just think it's a little bit cheap but i don't know maybe it was on purpose i would i would say like i have two thoughts on this and that it is exciting to have, like, a male and female character that are platonic purely, and, like, that is kind of the point, is that they are, uh, like, to me, it felt more like a brother-sister dynamic than it felt romantic most of the time, like, being willing to fly across the country, or not the country, the world, <laughs> to, like, help your friend, that because they've known each other for 10 years or whatever, and we, we'll figure, configure how the blip uh, affects oh, that right. timeline. Nah, whatever, whatever. Ten years or so. Enough time for him to be bullied using a Gangnam style, which is Korean, not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's um, the, like yeah. I think that's I think that's good. I think that's I like it. But on the other hand, I do think that it is worth noting that one of the only times the Marvel, like the the main character, doesn't have a love interest, like a very like kiss at the end love interest, right. is when their first. Asian pro- protagonist is at center stage. Mm. Um, just because it does perpetuate the stereotype that like Asian men are sexless, even when they look like Simu Liu, which is like obviously not, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. He's a very attractive man. Um, so, because when I went to see it with my family, we, when we were leaving, we were like, can you count on your hand how many times the main character didn't have a love interest that like was confirmed by the end of the movie? And right. it's like mm-hmm. four, maybe. Right, maybe. Yeah. So that was, you know, it's kind of a bummer, but I do, I think that their dynamic works more as like a brother-sister dynamic to me. But then that does go back yeah. to what you were saying, Elin, is that it does kind of like, it. I don't know, I guess it does kind of parallel how his relationship with his sister was kind of tarnished by his father and his relationship mm-hmm. with his friend. Like that's what they could have been if he'd yeah. only brought her with him. Just like in Us! Mm-hmm. That's spoilers for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, us. I think that's interesting because... You, you think about and I had I just it just occurred to me as you were saying that I think that uh, the relationship could also kind of be chalked up a little bit to her kind of filling that void of Shaoling, especially like after he like basically right. kind of deserts um, the the Ten Rings. So I think that's to- totally plausible. Um, and I think the thing for me when I, when I think about like me taking in the film the first time, I think it mostly is due to the fact that like there's an interesting thing this movie does where it, it um where the things it chooses to show you in terms of like exposition, flashback, the things that they choose to show you versus the things that they um, have people talk about, like basically the um, the whole what essentially would have been a flashback of um, of Jialing kind of waiting and waiting and waiting and not having um, Shang Chi come back for her um, is is just done in a scene with her and Katie basically, and she just kind of just describes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a point in the movie where I do it. I think distinctly remember thinking like I want to see that. Right. Yeah. Like I, I want to like my emotionally, I was gravitating more towards that core, 
towards that relationship of Shang-Chi and Zhao Ling more so than I was Katie's thing, which I, I, by the end of the movie, I was like, that's a cool thing that you were trying to do with her. Again, kind of what Adeline was talking about, the whole kind of aimless thing in her arc in this movie is really interesting. And I think it's uh, in an effort to, as just a person who's, um, in terms of like superpowers, like not a, a superpowered person, um, kind of already at that certain relatable level, even enhanced more so by kind of what they did with her character-wise. Um, but yeah, just emotionally, I, I was gravitating more towards that um, brother-sister relationship more than I was um, hers. But I was I was also invested to somewhat to yeah. some degree in hers. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I and think... I do think it's very clear with the end credit scene. It's very obvious that we're going to do more with her as the leader of the Ten Rings other times. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that Katie takes up so much space here makes sense because it, it feels very obvious to me that Jane Ling is obviously going to have a more prominent spot in another film. So, like, Katie taking up time now is because this is an origin story, so it's obvious if there's another Jane Ling movie, then, then she's going to be in that, and then Jane Ling will be in the other one. Like, it's... I feel like we're going to see more of both of them, so I don't think we need to, like, fight for time in this movie, but yeah. I totally see what you're saying mm-hmm. about wanting more of her. Yeah. And I, I think, think the other thing that my... if you didn't care about Katie, then you wouldn't care about when she's like falling off that bamboo scaffolding yeah. right over yeah that's Singapore. scary that's sick. <laughs> and i think my the other th- quick thing is that i think my my cynicism not in the in the first viewing but like after thinking about it part of my cynicism sprouted from the thing of like because initially my question was as i thought about it more like again going back to the question should Katie have been in this movie? And I think the answer to that question is um, is yes. They should. They should have been. She should have been in this movie. Um, but when I thought about that question, my cynicism from that tangent basically was pretty much like the kind of burden of kind of having um, having a star, like the just kind of the corporate look at this movie of like having a star and having to have them involved in a certain way, even if their character subjectively may not be as um, investing as another one might be. So I think that was kind of, that was another thing that I kind of thought thought through as well. Right. Um, but I thought more about it, and I, th- I think it's a little bit more in the other direction. I don't think it's quite as much as uh, in that direction as I initially thought, but um, that was just something I thought about too. Yeah. I think, uh, to sort of steer away from this, I was thinking a lot about, like, you know, uh, it... it, it it's, it might be a little bit gauche to sort of compare this movie to Black Panther, but, like, I was thinking about, like, what what the sort of significance of, like, the differences between those two movies are. And, like, in what ways does the movie sort of thematically embody sort of ideas that, that, are, that are specific to, like, the group it's making, making efforts to represent? Um... And, and one of the things that was really interesting was, like, this movie, Shang-Chi, is very much about, like, sort of, uh, uh, diaspora, you know, about the, the, like, experience of, like, Chinese or Asian American people, like, being between two cultures. Um, and I think this movie is about those sorts of ideas in a lot of different ways, not just about, like, literal cultures, like, the Definitely of, a like, lot about identity, yeah. yeah. and, like, the way that your identity is influenced by a lot of sometimes conflicting multiple influences. Um, which I think is really interesting to compare to Black Panther. I mean, 
it's weird that I'm explaining this to a black person and a Chinese person right now, but like <laughs> the difference between between that like that idea of like influences of multiple different cultures versus Black Panther, which is like imagining a scenario in which you had one definitive culture, you know, that you've sort of mm-hmm. been robbed. And like the differences between those it was just really I don't know, I was just riffing on that in my head as I was watching it. Like the like total like opposite ends of of like social ideas between these two movies yeah Yeah, i think think that's totally um, totally valid yeah yeah i i really appreciate a lot of what this movie does um to uh, again like familiarize the average audience of what like an asian american experience feels like and looks like i think it's similar to crazy rich asians um with less of the rich part <laughs> because right. you know like that's not entirely accurate um that it's not very accurate to most people it's not crazy rich asians it's just asians it's just a- it's just asians <laughs> but even the like beginning of the movie crazy. when you see it's just these asians are crazy they're cutting their buses in half they're kicking and pushing, like flipping. <laughs> they go, what's going on yeah but like the scene where aquafina you see aquafina's family um, there was, uh, they talked about, like, bringing a whole bottle of whiskey, uh, because it was, like, their day, they said day of the dead, which is, like, not usually a term that we use, but I think that was, like, when, when, when someone dies, you have to, like, yeah. you have to, uh, like, feed their spirit, essentially, like, yeah. three times a year, which is too many times, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> it's too many times, because it, they're expensive ingredients, but, like, their day, day of death their birthday and then Chinese New Year. So you're like constantly doing like, like making these dishes and like you always have whiskey. Like for some reason, I don't know why, but you always bring whiskey to like their grave or like you have a spoonful of whiskey that's set out for them or whatever. And when she was like, I brought him a whole bottle of whiskey last year. I I laughed so loudly. And there, I don't think there were very many Chinese people in in the theater when we went to see it, but I heard a couple other like, has, and I was like, they know, they know. Cause that's not funny to other people, but that's hilarious to me. Or like Aqua, like her mom, like making, kanji or jook like just really like boiled down rice for breakfast and then she's like i'm gonna have a piece of toast and some pop tarts or whatever and she leaves like that's just so that's spot on where like like you were saying it is living in this gap of like i want to honor my family and i want to like live on this legacy but i also like they they say abc uh abc you know like which means like american born chinese Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in the movie and there is like this separation of like i'm a I'm a Chinese person in America or I'm an American Chinese person. And it's interesting to explore on top of like, what does it mean to carry on a familial legacy? And what does it mean when like you have disagreements with the generation previous to you? I think all of those things are really interesting and we don't always get to see that kind of family dynamic in a Marvel movie just because that doesn't always, there isn't always a family. I think a lot of them don't have families. I mean, look at Hawkeye. He's like the only one. I was going to say, that's the weird thing. I mean, it's kind of like, it's like that every man thing. Like almost all of them are mm -hmm. just like these like towering men that like exist in this weird vacuum. Yeah, single. They they have no nothing. They have nothing. They're no earthly tethers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And being a little sister to a, to a man. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like whenever we do anything, my 
my sister and I always have to go last because not only are we girls, but our mom is like the connection to our family. So we have to, even though she's in the middle, we always have to go last because she's the one. <laughs> right. So I get it. I get it. It's a fun, it's an interesting dynamic that she wouldn't be allowed to to participate. It makes sense. Right. <laughs> I think yeah, that like... No, I was- Go ahead, Adeline. I was going to say, this is less about culture and just more about the things that this movie does. Like, talking so much about family for a Marvel movie is just so awesome. Because I feel like we talk a lot about found family in Marvel. Yeah, Fast and Furious type of family. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy is absolutely found family. The Avengers very much talks about found family. Like, even even Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, even like Loki and Thor is kind of about found family because they're not really family. So like spoilers for Thor, but (laughs) but like it's interesting for them to be like, okay, let's talk about the family that you're stuck with. You know, like we've talked about Mm -hmm. found family so many times and how positive that is. But like, what if your relationship with your family isn't that positive? And the way what if your dad is a a thousand year old warlord? What do you do then? Yeah, but the way that the dad is characterized is so good. Like I, he is such a good character. Like that Mm -hmm. balance of like, yeah, terrifying warlord killed a whole bunch of people could cripple any government misses his wife so damn much that it like makes you want to cry like yeah and then like oh my god i started bawling because he's doing like the flashbacks of like when she was still alive with the kids and they'd like cut to them like just playing dance dance revolution and i was just like crying in the theater like the way that they like characterize it like as someone who like like was so bad for so long wanted to be good Felt like felt like he couldn't anymore, and like now was like just trying to keep his family together. Like he is the villain, but like that's the conflict is that he wants his kids and his wife back, and he's willing to burn down every village to get it. Like right. it's just it's such an interesting character that I feel like we haven't gotten before, especially with a Marvel villain. Because like Marvel Marvel villains are very complex, and I think we did we tried to do a little bit of that with Thanos, at least in Fanny War Thanos, with like him and Gamora. Found family. And, like Yeah, well found family again. But like trying to like what does it mean to like be a father and like to make sacrifices and if you are an evil person, what does that mean for the people that you love? Like we were kind of having that conversation with Thanos and then we weren't in Endgame at all, which is why Endgame is uh, not as good as Infinity War. But then in this movie, I feel like that's like that's what the entire conflict is. Is like how what happens to the people you love when you are a evil person? Like that's just so interesting to me. I love that. We have now twice you can... described things as being unique to this movie when they are also in fact things that happen in Ant Man. <laughs> let me he's tell just like you, a regular guy, and he's like got a family that he has a tense relationship with. Oh, no other yeah. Marvel have that. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell oh, you, yeah. you cannot you cannot tell an old Asian man that their wife's ghost isn't hanging around and that they could do something <laughs> for them. A and you and the fact that when he dies, he doesn't say a single word or he's just like, I'm proud of you. And that or that's how she dies. She's like, I'm proud of you. But she doesn't say I love you. I'm like, oh, relatable. relatable content (laughs) they never not once are you gonna hear the words i love you out of a out of a shang chi movie and if that that happens that's an american born chinese right there (laughs) yeah that'll be katie yeah like like just stoically dying rather than being like 
you know, John Krasinski, like, sign languaging I love you at the end of mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Quiet Place makes sense to yeah. me. It makes sense to my fantasy. And, uh, and that my fantasy is my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it funny. I was actually... Go ahead. I was going to say, Kira, that, like, like in uh, in I think when Wu I think is is Tony Young's character name right? Mm-hmm. When Wu yeah. In yeah. a situation, he is a little bit uh, he's a little bit you know predisposed. But to your point, Sean Krasinski, <laughs> Lee Abbott, he, he has time to do that. Yeah, he's like he <laughs> as literally... his kids are being actively attacked. So uh, <laughs> and he know. had the time to think about it, but he didn't. And I love Figured that. I'd I think that's more motions, accurate. Yeah, I, there was um, a moment. My the action, look. though, the final action by Wenwu, though, is is is, an I love you. I guess it is. That is, oh, it's, but it, it is mm-hmm. it is nonverbal, and that is that is the Chinese yeah. American experience. <laughs> yeah, there was this thing that happened because, like, I I am someone who loves mythology, so I've picked up little pieces of like different mythologies and stuff like that. So, like, I know like the like Chinese tigers and like the nine tail foxes and stuff like that are all like things that I recognized. So when we go into the fantasy world, that was very fun, where I could, like, pick out pieces of culture. I love the I love the lions in the village. I love them so much. They were adorable. But there was that moment where they're, like, t- like telling you, like, the crazy monsters attacked. Here's what happened. Our, a thousand years ago, our guardian dragon showed up, and he killed him. The second they said guardian dragon, I'm like, oh, I hope that motherfucker shows up. See, I'm I so hate excited. No, I'm so excited oh, about that big on. dragon. And then when he was, like, in the water and the rings started coming up, I'm like, oh, it's going to be the big dragon. And then when the big dragon came up, I was just like, yes, right. big dragon. Like, I love okay. him. I think big dragon is cool. Obviously, big dragon is cool. But, like... You get to, we need to circle back around to Ben Kingsley, obviously. I was like, going to say, we'd be remiss to not talk about Ben Kingsley because right. Jackson loves Ben Kingsley. <laughs> I love Ben Kingsley. <laughs> no, uh, but like the, uh, uh, so like they're in the dungeon and they meet Ben Kingsley and they're like, I just happen to have this animal. No explanation. And it knows how to get to the mystical land. No explanation. You're just like, mm-hmm. okay, sure. I guess. Fine. And you're like, they're doing this thing. You're like, whatever. And they get to the mystical land and at least I think it's like a total snooze for like twenty five minutes. Like, no, you don't like. Here's the this cool new world and all this lore that's kind of unrelated that. to all the stuff we've been talking about. And there's a dragon and a portal and demons are gonna open a portal in the sky again. I'm like, okay, come on. Like, no, it's good. I like it. <laughs> and like, but... I think that as much as I am, you know, I I talked about this. When you're, I talked about it on TikTok. Loki. <laughs> Loki has sort of wetted my whistle for like an MCU climax that is not a big CGI action sequence. I think that that is like the genius of that show is like it doesn't end with a bunch of people flying around on a green screen shooting lasers at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so like as much as I am like constantly hoping for more of that and less people flying around on <laughs> wires in a studio in Atlanta. uh I do think that the like third act of this movie is like one of the way better versions of that in the MCU. I think it's like one of the oh, best so like good. climaxes. Uh, but I think I think all the weird lore, I think all the stuff in the in this like weird world that you don't have a lot of a reason to care about. I think all that stuff in that middle zone is like me in the theater with a big snot bubble, cartoon Z. Okay, well, here's here's my defense of it. Okay. My defense of it is that it's set up very well and then delivered to you relatively quickly. Where we have seen yeah. his, like, the very beginning of the movie is his mom basically telling him this fairy tale 
that's real and about his literal dad. Like we've right, already right. made that distinction that we like have these like these stories that are fantastical and have these creatures and have magic and they're real as hell. Deal with it. Like that's mm-hmm. how we start the film. Right. So when we're like, okay, so our mom is like a fairy goddess or whatever. Not really, but like she's missing. She comes from a magical mm-hmm. place. She's special. She's important. That's where she comes from. She dies. We think she's there now because the fairy tale is real. We've established that. We're like great and so when we get there we find the portal we go into that magical land and they're like yeah the fairy tale that we told you about it's a hundred percent real right. like we've been telling you this shit is real the whole time so when you get there we take a minute to just like get to absorb all the cool fantasy magical elements i'm like great because you've been telling me the whole movie that this the shit that we've been like hearing about is absolutely a hundred percent real and here it is and i get to look at it and see that yeah it's yeah. real as hell mm-hmm. And then when we just like when we meet when we meet everybody and they like tell us the lore of the place, we just like walk down a hallway, we tell you what happened, and now we're gonna deal with it. It's like great, awesome. Like Wreck It Ralph, you told me. I'm good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I will speak to the fact that like legends and stories are very prominent in Asian, like Chinese culture specifically, whereas like it is uh, eventually it's difficult to differentiate between like this is just our like customs and our practices and this is what people actually believe like this is what my grandparents Mm -hmm. actually believe and like to a certain extent like it it gets passed down and it's hard to say where like chinese new year the zodiac cycle is based off of a weird story about a race that the cloud uh emperor decided they were gonna have like that's totally arbitrary and doesn't mean anything but at this, it's equal to I. I probably don't need to wash my hair on Chinese New Year or the day before so that I don't wash all my good luck out, um, because that's not how that works. But I do it anyway because <laughs> like that's it's what I'm supposed to do. And like my grandmother, I know that she totally 100% is like this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Otherwise, like you're gonna have a bad year. But I'm like I. Don't think I don't think this means anything, but one percent of me is like it might mean something, yeah, and a hundred percent of me is like I'm gonna do it anyway. I have to do it anyway, and like right. that's what that felt like when like Shang Chi is like, Dad, that's just a story. Like that is just a story, and now you're taking it too far. And like I know about your power, but this is nothing. Like what you're connecting together is just like part of what you've been hearing your whole life. Right. But you shouldn't believe it, even though he's right. He was right. So maybe right. I should keep washing my hair before Chinese New Year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the, I mean, the the craziest thing about this movie is, at least in my opinion, like the thing that's wild. Like one of the things I saw like a few times as like critics were seeing it before it came out. I saw a bunch of people saying like, it's like a Jackie Chan movie. And I was like, okay, is it really though? And then I watched <laughs> it and I was like, oh, okay, it is. Like it, it does have like. I mean, because that's the thing, right? Is, like, you've got these, like, two, like, sort of conflicting, like, fighting styles that are, like, happening in different parts of the movie. Because you've got, like, the train sequence, which is, like, Jackie Chan to the limit. It's, like, him, like, constantly on his heels, being surprised, looking at things around him, finding clever, interesting ways to, like, deflect things. MacGyvering. Like, MacGyvering Mm -hmm. his way out of things. It's, like, so, so, so Jackie Chan. As opposed to all the stuff, what's the name of the, like, mystical land... Does anybody remember I don't the movie? Remember. I don't know. is not a good part of the movie. Just say it. Anyway. Okay, uh, that's not Ta-la. fair, though. I can't remember anybody's goddamn yeah. name in any film. But, like, all that stuff is, like, so... Talor, I think. So wuxia. Elon like, and I saw this two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's so wuxia. It's all, it's all, like, very floaty and very, like, you know, they move and they, like, kind of jump around. And it's a lot of, like, deflection. Like, actual kung fu sort of, like, 
you know, fluid, fluid movements in a way that's like so totally different and opposing to the like Jackie Chan subway fight and like the scaffolding fight where it's him just like, Good job, yeah, blah, it's, blah, more, like tai- it's more Tai Chi based is the, yeah. the like air bending, which I right. got yelled at. Uh, you know, you can go to a seat, the old, old Chinese ladies doing Tai Chi in the park a lot of the time and. You can follow along, and sometimes you get yelled at because they're like, "Don't make fun!" And you're like, "I'm not. I'm just trying. I'm just trying I'm just it enjoying out. it. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. my hardest." But yeah, you know, it's just—it's very much like a function of this whole thing about like identity and it coming from different places. The one thing that is weird to me about that messaging is the fact that like there's that time where where you know there's that beat where where he's like, "I'm gonna kill my dad." Like I've thought about it, and I've made the decision I'm gonna kill him. Like, there's that darkness in him. And, like, part of the theming sort of becomes around, like, you know, these influences on you and, like, which ones you let win. But I think I like those ideas a lot better when all of those conflicting influences are just different as opposed to being, like, there's the evil ones and the good Mystical. ones. Because mm-hmm. then you start to try to, like, you try to, like, kind of draw lines in the metaphor, like, wait, are they... is is the Chinese one the evil one or is the American one the evil one? Or like, is this like, it starts to kind of feel weird. It turns into Zootopia a little bit. Yeah. A little Zootopia where you're like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like literally what they're saying, but it's sort of is Mm -hmm. messy in just the right way that it makes you start to draw those lines yourself in a way that I thought was a little weird. I didn't get that, but that's a valid take. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I was going to, this is not related to anything. This is kind of a side tangent. Is Jackie Chan too old for us to allow him to be in films anymore? I don't know. Because the last film he was in was in the Lego Ninjago movie, right? That's the last time we saw him. He had a movie when I was working at the movie theater Mm -hmm. called The Foreigner. I don't know that if that was, was an American we, movie or a Chinese movie, though. We cannot stop that man from doing his own stunts, and he needs to stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't can't know. keep doing this. He can this. do it. Let he me take a second anything. and look at what he's been up to lately. Well, because there was when the was bloopers. The... I remember the bloopers very vividly of the Lego Ninjago movie, which was a great film, had no... Should not have been. I enjoyed it very much. But <laughs> I remember, like, 90% of the blooper is literally just, like, he has, like, one gag where they, like, throw a bunch of cups at him, and he, like, catches all of them. But he's doing it practically because he's Jackie Chan, and you right. can't tell him not to do something. So it's just, like, 90 outtakes of them, like, throwing cups at Jackie Chan and him trying to catch them. And the one will, like, fall and break, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, it's fine, let's go again. It's like, Jackie, stop, you're gonna <laughs> fall off a building and die. Like, <laughs> uh, So he hasn't directed a movie since 2012. Um, mm-hmm. he has been in, um, a, a handful of Chinese movies since, um, since that time, since 2017, when The Foreigner mm-hmm. came out. Um, I do not know if they are good or well-liked. I have not heard of mm. them. So, I don't know. Um. Maybe they're musicals. Jackie Chan should sing more. <laughs> Could He's be. got a good singing voice. Doesn't he, like, famously, like, give people... He has, like, a two-wheeled thing. What are they called? Segways. Where he, like, gives segways. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, like, has a segway on every set that he's on, and then at the end of the shooting, he, like, gives the segway to right. someone. This is a story <laughs> oh, I've heard somewhere. Is Sounds this a segway to something else? No, it's just a literal segue that Jackie Chan might give you if you're an yeah. assistant on whatever movie he's working on. Right. So are we going to talk about Ben Kingsley? Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> ben Kingsley rules. I mean, I don't know. I 
go ahead, Adeline. I was going to say, I think if anybody deserves to not be in this movie, it's Ben Kingsley. <laughs> yeah, probably. As much as I love him, <laughs> did not, he was there to explain the thing. Here was, here was the thing that I was going to say earlier, but I forgot to say. Yeah. Is that I don't think people know how to consume Easter eggs in film anymore. <laughs> And I think Pixar is a prime example and Marvel is a prime example. Right. Where if we just, like, include something, instead of just being, like, a fun little thing for you, if you know, then you know. And you're like, right. eh, fun. It's turned into that means something and it's connected to everything else and it's law and it's canon right, and that's right. what this means. Like, spoiler alert, Pixar is not an extended universe <laughs> where all the movies connect. We're just having fun with animation assets. But no... And I feel like that's, like, when you were talking about, like, all the different, like, kind of pieces of comics that were smooshed together into this film, mm -hmm. like, you think that nerds would, like, have fun with that? Like, being able to see all the pieces and, like, appreciating how they use them, but instead it's just, like, anger that you didn't use them exactly how you wanted, right. and, like... I feel like the whole thing with the Mandarin and how the Mandarin has been used in the MCU is, like, not exactly the same thing as an Easter egg, but, like, just, like, a refusal to take things as they are and right. a need to expand them to the fullest extent with no evidence, you know? Right. like. I, like, I am personally, I am totally fine with what they did with the Mandarin, and it makes sense, and when they explain it here, like, after the fact, I'm like, oh... Like, I got it then, and I got it now. Like, right. great. Like, oh, it was a terrorist group, and then it was a fake terrorist group, and then it's like, oh, and here's the people that the fake terrorist group was, like, into, like pretending to be. And it's right. like, great, that all makes total sense to me, and you know there's a million nerds who are so upset about that because it's not what it is in the comics, yeah. you know? There's a wild, in the lead-up to this movie, first of all, like, in, in the myriad different shapes that, like, racism takes in, like, fandom for blockbuster movies... One of the mm -hmm. weird ones is that people are are so angry about the fact that sometimes blockbuster movies can have elements in them that are designed to appeal to Chinese markets. There's, like, this weird entitlement that's like, these movies should be for me and me only. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, there are certain things about, like, pandering to, like, a global market that, you know, is sort of a detriment to some movies. But, like, just in general, like, the idea that these giant mega blockbusters... Sometimes they're thinking about the Chinese market as much as they are the American ones. Shouldn't bother you as much as it does. So there's a... When this movie got announced, there was a lot of that. Like, oh. So Marvel's just, like, blatantly, like, selling movies to China now. And you're like... Okay, well, even if that was true, why would that be such a horrible thing? Anyway. Not just now. Uh, but, the, but the other thing about that is, like... When, when the Mandarin twist happens in Iron Man 3, the, the great American movie... Uh, it it made a lot of people really angry because it felt like, and there was also a bit attached to that where like Kevin Feige and Shane Black said multiple times like, we you know there's only so many Iron Man villains and we did not want to use the Mandarin just as is. They were like, as he was, yeah. it's not gonna work. It's a weird old racist thing. We we can't mm -hmm. just like use that straight up. And people who like like those Iron Man comic books and like the Mandarin were like felt very attacked by that. You're like, you can't just say it's racist, you know, whatever. It can't be racist because I like it. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so like that was very much part of it. And then when they announced that they were going to like do a weird sideways Mandarin, people were like, 
so what? Six years ago, it's racist and you could never do it, but now it's just suddenly okay? Like, without any understanding of, like, the difference in how they're approaching it and who's telling the story and how they're doing these things. Yeah. And it's not the first time Marvel has done this. Mbaku, man-ape in Black Panther, is a rough, yeah. a rough deal. It's a rough fella. It's yeah. really... No good. He's totally just like a... The ancient one? The ancient one, yeah. I mean, that's a little bit different. I think, because, like, M'Baku is them, like, doing something good. Like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. M'Baku, is, he's like, like a Captain America yeah. villain. He's just like a, a black man who dresses up in a gorilla suit and robs banks or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like... No good. Wow. But, like, Ryan Coogler <laughs> yeah. took it and was like, okay, so I want to incorporate this into this, like, world-building thing I'm trying to do. And, like, it turned into something really interesting and cool. You know, being told from the perspective of of black writers and directors, and they're doing the same kind of mm-hmm. thing here, like yeah. giving this weird, Which awkward, like racist caricature, and being like, "How can you recontextualize this? How can you yeah. reclaim this and make this something more interesting?" Which I do, mm-hmm. like I what I like that's what I appreciate about this movie a lot is that that these are characters that were written, I, I assume, primarily by white men in the seventies, yeah. uh, and that is where a lot of like pseudo Chinese terms come from and like right. uh, misunderstandings about cultural impact on things. And this is a total reclamation of like Asian people saying mm-hmm. like, this is actually like we, this is where we started, but we can make this into something that is right. true to who we are and true to like what people enjoy about superhero movies. And I think that that is like, mm-hmm. like a huge celebration. I, I walked out of the movie feeling really good about it. And I was the happy be happy with it. Right. Uh, like, and I, and also Simu Liu, you know, just gotta. True. What a star. Raise, raise the roof. Now, this I is, love that he gets to just, play a Chinese person. I love that he's just wearing sneakers. Like, yeah, throughout that, the entire that's Asian culture. The movie. It's so great. That is, that's, that's ABC f- fresh off the boat culture if I ever seen it. <laughs> Before <laughs> I even saw the say. movie, I saw somebody like say something on Facebook like, that man saved the world in a pair of Jordans or something. <laughs> right. I was, like, I was <laughs> yeah, sick. he did. Perfect. Yes, he did. I mean, Miles Morales, kids like the shoes. It's true. But it's true. I, at this point, this is cold tea. This is frozen tea. <laughs> <laughs> I but see. I was going to say. <laughs> Keisha, what was your opinion of the whole Ancient One debacle? Because, like, my my consensus <laughs> is that they should have, they could have handled it better than just plopping a white woman in the role. Yeah. But also, I totally understand wanting to distance themselves from the original racist caricature. So I was just wondering what your I thoughts think, were on this old, I mean, old like, problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... Didn't feel great about it. I feel like it just it felt like another because there was also in a period of time where there were like three or four like big Hollywood names that like white women who were being put in place where Asian women could have been playing a role mm-hmm. or Asian men could have been playing a role. And it it was like, oh, great. Another one like Tilda Swinton added mm-hmm. to the list. Um, right. I mean, but also like there are a lot of problems with it, like that I the reason why I think primarily wasn't because oh it was racist it's because it's a Tibetan character um and like there's a lot of problems with Tibet and China just today right. and so I, I mm-hmm. like it was it wasn't like oh we feel like we should be changing this character because it's it's racist it, like they could have easily worked obviously by this movie they could have easily worked with in the confines of like this is an Asian man who is mm-hmm. playing this role right um but it it like there are just too a lot of issues behind it I didn't feel great I didn't enjoy 
um, the Doctor Strange movie as well as I could have because every time I saw her, I was just like, this sucks. Like, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> this like, could have been better. Yeah. Like, because uh, again, this was pre like Crazy Rich Asians, pre Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. pre a lot. Like, there were a few Asian centered movies that came out. Well, yeah, but this before was the- then, it was just like, it was like yeah, right was in like, between another... Ghost in the Shell and Aloha. Like it yeah, was like oh, right yeah. in that no, where so you're like, like the cool, worst time. great, yeah. another yeah. one. Like another white woman. Yeah, I should have contextualized that. Like again, my my Asian American queen, Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> took on a role. Like and it, and they were like, it doesn't have to be an Asian person. And you're like, yeah, I know, but it's but an I Asian like story that be, takes place though. in Japan. Yeah. And is it, that it, all is right? The, Can I watch it? And that? she does have a Japanese soul inside of her, like a Japanese brain. So yeah, it's which just is like, just another layer that's weird. Cool. Yeah. And then and then also Aloha really sucked because um which makes me not like Emma Stone as much. Uh because she's supposed to play a half Asian person. And she's like, people don't know what to call me because they I'm so ambiguous. And I'll I will tell you that half Asian people do not look like Emma Stone even a little bit. <laughs> right. So, eh, Does all her this character to say, say that in the movie? Yeah, she's like she is half or she's a quarter Hawaiian, a quarter Chinese, and then half white, whatever. And the Keanu she's Reeves. like I. Yeah, Keanu Reeves. But Ke- does Keanu Reeves have blonde hair and blue eyes? Not, no, no, like no. Not last time I, I don't think so. No. <laughs> not, not right now, at least. But, <laughs> that yeah, was a weird it just movie, was, I'll be honest. I barely that remember that Aloha. Was, <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's also bad because there are like no Native Hawaiian people in the movie. It's all right, white people. Yeah. It's just, so it's just included in that long list of like, this is upsetting and it sucks. And again, like Asian people can't tell their own stories. That's cool. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but... Yeah. You know, it's complicated. There one I always think <laughs> That's about. That's my answer. Because at the same time, I remember, I remember getting in, not a fight with you, but talking with you about this, about the Great Wall. Yeah, we wall. had a conversation. It wasn't a yeah, fight. Yeah, it was yeah. A, because, it was a full-on like, conversation. I still think about the Great Wall. I don't know if anybody in the world knows about the Great Wall. In- mm-hmm. I only know about it because I was stole in the your same, AMC yeah. t-shirt that had the Great Wall <laughs> right. we all had to wear. We all had to wear Great Wall t-shirts when I worked at the movie theater. But... The one with Matt Damon? Yeah, with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole premise oh, yeah, is that, that, like, Matt Damon and Willem Dafoe are, like, these, like, European travelers or whatever, and they, like, stumble upon some, like, fantasy conflict in in China, and they, like, yeah. introduce Big magnets. monsters. There's this whole plot point where it's, like, the monsters are afraid of magnets, and, like, they didn't have magnets, but Matt Damon does that he brought from Europe, so, like, that's a whole from thing. From Rite Aid. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have magnets anywhere. Uh but what's so weird about that movie, because it became this weird touchstone of people like instantly like saw the trailer and they were like, oh, this is like a total white savior story. This is like a, a you know, one of these movies where it's just like, oh, these white European guys come in and they and they save and it's a long list of whatever. But the thing that's fascinating about that movie is that it is not an American movie. It is a Chinese mm-hmm. movie. It was produced and filmed in China. Just like, you know, Michael Bay Transformers movies sometimes weirdly have one set piece set in China in order to a- appeal to Chinese mm-hmm. audiences. This was a Chinese movie being made with, like, some crossover appeal to America. It's in, it's in mm-hmm. English. but And it's because Matt Damon is, like, a megastar yeah. in China. For oh, whatever yeah, I I heard this. For whatever reason, like... That's one of those fascinating box office statistics is, like, the reason that Star Wars movies, like, never quite hit that, like, highest grossing movie of all time benchmark 
is that Star Wars doesn't really go over very well in China. For whatever reason, Chinese people just never quite bought into Star Wars in the way that most other people in the world have. Um, which is, it sounds weird to say, I'm not like generalizing a culture, yeah. just be sheer numbers. Yeah. Like in China, <laughs> they no don't like- country, China. The people yeah. in China. In China, they don't like Star Wars as much, but they <laughs> love the Born Identity Planet movies. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> like the Born Identity movies. There were five of them because they went gangbusters in China. Something about Matt Damon and the Born Identity just really struck a chord with Chinese audiences. So they bring Matt Damon to China. It's a Chinese movie being made for Chinese audiences starring mm-hmm. a, a Chinese marquee idol with some crossover over, you know, marketing for the United States so they could distribute it there too mm-hmm. and make extra money. So like describing it as like this racist white savior movie is weird because it's not an American movie. It's not a, mm-hmm. a, a Western culture movie. It's a Chinese movie being made for Chinese people. So like, how do you talk about a movie like that? Like, how yeah. could you possibly like put it in any kind of, you know, I mean, specific box? I mean, it's really so, it's not the same thing at all, but I was like, it, the joke is that, like, Hispanic Mexican people, they love Speedy Gonzalez, right. and everyone else is on the planet is like, is Speedy Gonzalez okay? And they're like, yeah, we love him. <laughs> I mean, right. that's a like different, because Speedy Gonzalez is a mouse written by white men, <laughs> but, you know, right. it's just that same kind of thing, where it's like, I don't know, like, I, and I always kind of blow it down to just, like, listen to people and listen to different people, because, of course, no group is going to have the same they're not homogenous or not a right. hive mind with the same opinions but like i don't know if if they love matt damon in china good for them if they love <laughs> speedy gonzalez great like one thing that we don't have to have a problem about let's go fix all the other problems um uh ben kingsley you can circle back around i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah. because it's weird. i do have to get going though yeah I, i'm wrapping it up here i've got my okay. i've got my review up but like i mean it's <laughs> I true feel- it's true that it is weird it's weird that they're just like, he kept him around as a court jester. You're like, it's mm-hmm. 2021. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I <laughs> yeah. spared him. Now he lives in my dungeon. <laughs> like, and what? he just, like, does plays. Yeah. He's, he's old-fashioned. He's old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But he just, like, shows I mean, up and doesn't, like, play any meaningful role. Isn't that perfect for that man, though? I guess. This weird man-child who... Just pretended to be a terrorist, and then like, is it? He just lives in a dungeon now. Just right. playing a role. Plays. Like, great. No, I mean seriously, right. Ben Kingsley in Iron Man Three is my favorite performance in a Marvel movie ever. It's hands really down, good. not even close. He's so funny in that. I think. It's so good. I think that he is also really funny in this movie. I think he's probably about half as funny, which is still funnier than most people. <laughs> but it's not nearly <laughs> Iron Man Three levels of great. But, like, he's just, like, dicking around, doing stuff the whole movie, and I'm just happy to see him. I love him. Trevor Slattery, best MCU character. And, he's, and he speaks that little ball monster language. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. The little headless. And thank God for that. Yeah. Thingy, yeah. What they, I was going to say, like my one last, like, thing that yeah, I thought was wings. interesting about. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes there's lag, and then we talk over people, and then we try to stop, and then they stop, and then it just gets out of control. But I was going to say, the last thing that I, like, had to say about it was there, there was these moments of, like, it, it happened, that beginning scene when the mom or dad are, like, fighting, and you're like, are they in love? Like, there's, like, these, like, slow-mo moments. Are the, they yeah, gonna so kiss? <laughs> well, but that scene is so good. But it, it that, like, slow-mo in the wind and there would be, like, leaves and, like, flower petals, like, in the wind as they would, like, move. Like, it totally, like, something about that seemed like, it reminded me of, like, 
a, like a K drama. Like it just like seemed like such a like C Asian drama. inspired. Yeah, like the Asian inspired Love like Chinese editing dramas. for that scene. It's just like I don't know. I don't know if anyone else felt that, but I just like felt that influence in there, and I was like, oh, that's that's fun. That's cool. Also, are they gonna kiss? Yeah, and that scene's so great and then they because did. the like. And then they did. <laughs> the like sexual. And then they tension. did get married. That's why I like them because right. they did get married. The like sexual tension fight scene is like a weird action movie trope that you can kind of roll your mm-hmm. eyes at sometimes, but I think it like works really sincerely well because it looks different than any other way. Because usually when people are doing that, they're playing with like the fact that they're like grappling and they're like grabbing each other and they're like mm-hmm. up close. They're like physically in each other's spaces, but this is just more like. Just sort of it's like a power like emotional balance. than yeah. it is like physical, weirdly, even though they are fighting each other. And it's that's like a, C dramas to a T, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. <laughs> um so uh final thoughts before we wrap up. Key just gotta go real quick. I gotta go. I have a hibachi date. It's not a date, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> uh, I'm going to a hibachi did, restaurant. Did you did you have anything else, Keija? Um, yes. I really love this movie. I'm really thankful for it. I think Simu Liu is great. I think we need more Chinese and Asian actors um, in action movies um, being comedic and having multi-layers of personality. And I really like the action, and I really like the set pieces, and I thought it was a really interesting Marvel movie, and I'm happy for it. And also, shout out to kanji at the beginning of the movie it's a really good food you should try it <laughs> sick okay so do you guys want to hear a one-star review of shang chi and the legend of the ten rings sure so this review comes no. from letterbox.com uh this person says daddy acts like a massive cunt for a thousand years or so but it's okay because he sacrifices himself at the end ah! fuck off when Wu is an irredeemable wanker just like ricky gervais <gasps> Oh my gosh, they're British. You should have been reading that in a British I should have been British, fuck. Daddy acts like a massive... Oh, wait, fuck, that sucked. Hold on. Oh, 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 I'm 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 I'll do it as as Jason Statham. (laughs) Oh, I'm Jason Statham. Daddy acts like a massive cunt for a thousand years or so, but it's okay, because this is New Zealand now. This is... Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. I'm turning to Tamura Morrison. Wei Wu is an irredeemable wanker, just like Ricky Gervais. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> that was great. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, my name's Jackson McMurray. <laughs> my name's Adeline McMurray. My name is Keisha Rhodes. Uh, I'm Elon Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing Keisha. She has to go to her hibachi date, I hope. <laughs> great. Okay, wait. So whatever you just great. said, say I it said again. I said you got it in my recording. You. Okay. okay. I, my name is Keisha Rhodes. That's Perfect. And I'm Elon Hernandez. And this is No Nerds Allowed. Keep us all out there, sailors. You just gotta go eat hibachi right now. <laughs> Feel free to hang up. We'll keep hanging out probably. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Okay.